Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Well, good morning and welcome to Vessel Collective Church. My name is Jake Toman. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Uh, and I love gathering on Sunday mornings. And uh, I was just, as we were worshiping, I mean, things can be so chaotic and busy in life and go through seasons. And just the, the last few weeks for me have been very busy, lots of things going on, lots of just out of the normal stuff, which is not bad, and that's okay. But man, just when we were worshiping just now, I had such a peace about those things, such a peace about how good God is. And, and we sang that song that Sean and, and the worship team introduced about uh, the good things that God's done. It just really spoke to my heart. So I love worshiping with you guys. So thank y'all for that this morning. Um, so it's July 28th. That is hard to believe that we've just got two or three more days until August. And, you know, I see, I, I've talked to people about getting back ready for school. I was talking to Becca Crook, as we were greeting this morning out front, um, she's going to be in fifth grade, and she's talking to her. I said, are you ready for school to be back? She's like, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready for fifth grade. And I thought, man, that is crazy. And people that are, you know, gearing down and returning from vacation and, and, and getting ready for the fall. And I, I think this is kind of sad. It's like we've given up. We still have summer left, people. We still have time. We're not done yet. And I feel like all of us have this spirit of defeat when it comes to that. Like, let's, let's embrace the last few weeks that we have. From my recollection, school for us does not start until August 15th. So, again, that gives us multiple weeks left in the summer. So, I just want to encourage all this morning to not give up so easy. Let's enjoy this. I know it's hot. I know it's been long, but let's enjoy. So, speaking of enjoy, one, one thing that I have, the one thing that I have left plan for this summer is in my birthday's in September and our middle child Keller his birthday is also in September and for his birthday this year which was his birthday but really this is for me as well let's be honest I planned a trip for he and I and uh, um, next next week on August 7th a couple weeks from now he and I are going to go we're going to fly out and we're going to go to Phoenix Arizona so if you think it's hot in Austin Texas I will report the temperature in Phoenix. But we're going, we're going to Phoenix, Arizona, and it's just, it's just he and I, and we're going to two professional sports games. And so, and the cool thing is I'm not paying for tickets for either one of them. I have a, uh, a good connection uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and so he and I are going to a Cardinals game, their first preseason game of the year. And not only are we going to a Cardinals game, but we're getting box seats. And they, these are the coaches, the head coaches' box seats. And so, you know, Keller, he's, he's going to be seven. And so I think, I'm like, buddy, do you realize how awesome and cool this is? He's like, yeah, sounds fun. I'm like, no, come on. Box seats, there's going to be food, and it's going to be catered, and we're not paying for anything. It's going to be great. So we're going to a Cardinals game on, on Thursday. And the Wednesday that we get in, we're going to an Arizona Diamondbacks game as well that evening. And again, that, uh, with uh, my men's group, Jeff Schmallbox in my men's group, and I'm talking to him about this. I'm like, man, I got to buy tickets. For, this car, or for the Diamondbacks game. And he's like, you know what? Melissa used to work for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So as we're sitting there for our men's group, he texts Melissa and she's like, he's like, she's got tickets. 
There'll be will call for you to pick up, and there'll be great seats. So we're going to Arizona, and that's what we have planned for the rest of the year. It's going to be awesome. So don't give up on Sunner. And with that said, um, you know, I, I'm a sports fan, kind of. I'm not like a sports nut. I don't, like, I went to University of Texas, so I root on the Longhorns, which is sometimes easier than others. Uh, and, and, and I like sports, and I like watching sports, and all the major sports, pretty much. But I'm not a, I'm not a big kind of sports nut that is real into everything. But lately, um, speaking of professional baseball, and if you've had a conversation with me in the past two weeks, I've told you about this. There's this app that I've downloaded on my, my phone called Beat the Streak. Okay, and so it's put out through Major League Baseball. I'll show you the app on my phone. And so if you're in this room and you like baseball, you should download this app. And, and it's, it's based off the 56-game hitting streak uh, of Joe DiMaggio. And so all that you do, it's like a fantasy game. It's free to play. And all you do is each, each day, you can pick up to two players to get a hit that day. All they have to do is get a hit. And you can pick any players from any team. You can skip days. You can double up. And all you have to do is get 56 hits in a row without your streak being broken. And you win $5.6 million, right? And it's free to play. Everyone is downloading the app now. So, um, but so I'm, and I like baseball and I watch baseball some, uh, but not religiously. But now I'm going in every day and I'm looking at the lineups. I'm looking at who's batting. I'm looking, are they home or away? Or is this, you know, pitching matchups and all of this information to try to get my streak to 56 because I want to win $5.6 million. And so, so far, my highest streak is four. I've gotten a four <laughs> twice. And it was broken last night, and so I was kind of disappointed by that. But I've hit four twice, and it doesn't seem that difficult. But this streak, this contest has been going on for three years, and the most, I think, someone got to 51 games. So with that said, I think one thing that's cool about baseball and where I feel like I have some sort of an advantage, and it's magically put on by the MLB and the MGM Grand. I mean, it's a casino's involved. If a casino's involved, you know that you're going to lose. But... I, 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 you can look at all the numbers. And baseball, one thing I think is interesting about baseball and something that's changed the game a lot, even in the past decade, is the analytics of baseball. It's how baseball has really turned into a numbers sport. And, and it was, if you've seen Moneyball and you've seen how the, the A's did it, and, and you know, I'm an Astros fan, and, and to see how teams have begun to look more closely at numbers and the analytics of baseball rather than the, the players and the stars and that sort of thing is it's really changed how they see the game. It's looking at matchups. It's looking at what am I going to have to pay this player and what are they going to produce? Or can I get a different player that's at replacement level that's less expensive and is going to give me the same results? And it's just really interesting. So I thought about that this, this week as we've been in this series called Why We Gather. And I've thought about how baseball and sports have turned a lot into numbers game. And, and this week, as we, as we get into this, back into our series on why we gather, uh, we're going to look at the numbers involved. We're going to look at how us gathering on Sunday morning is, in a lot of ways, a numbers game. And if you've heard me teach before, I always like to relate, and it makes my mother proud because she was a high school geometry and calculus teacher, and it makes Linda proud because she was a math professor. But I like to relate the gospel to math. I, I like to think about mathematics. It makes sense to me and how 
in a lot of ways, there's a lot of things in truth in Scripture that uh, are numbers. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at a statement that Jesus said about us gathering together, about why we gather on Sunday mornings and why numbers matter. And don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't think that I'm talking about the number of people in this room or if we have more people, then God is somehow more present or, or anything like that. But thinking about the idea of, it, of numbers mattering. And so, so we're going we're gonna to look at a scripture uh, out of Matthew chapter 18 and these two verses that Jesus say that are so important. But before, I, before we jump into that, I want to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Jesus, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for gathering. I thank you, Father, that when you said church, you didn't mean a building. God, that when you said church, that you meant a gathering of people coming together in relationship with one another, in relationship with you. I pray, Jesus, as we open up your word and we read what you said, Father, that you would help us understand just just one more layer, one more uh, truth about the gathering that we do on Sunday mornings and why it matters, Lord. I thank you for your promises in Scripture. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we open your word, it is promised to us that, that, that your word is living, and this is God-breathed Scripture, and I pray, to God, that you would breathe on us now. Jesus, that you would speak to each and every one of us of where we are, what we're going through, what we're struggling with, or what we need to hear. God, we don't know those things, but you do. And so I just pray, God, in a divine and supernatural way right now, Jesus, you use your word, and God, you use um, myself to, to, to speak to us, God. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for us being gathered here. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, so um, speaking of a numbers game, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, I'll give you all, if you want to look up in your Bible, if you do not have a Bible with you right now and you would like a Bible, our guest services team has Bibles on this table over here. If you just raise your hand, someone will go snag you a Bible, or if you want to get one, it's on this table over here. And I'd love for you to read along. And, and I'll tell you beforehand, we're going to read in Matthew uh, chapter 18 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you want to earmark, write those down, Matthew 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to look at the numbers game and why we gather. And so uh, as you look at Matthew 18, I'll give you a little bit of context of what's happening. Is that this, is the, this is a scripture where Jesus is speaking. If you have a red letter Bible, you're going to see those letters in red, which means those are the words of Jesus Christ. And interesting enough, Jesus is talking about the church. And again, we talked last week about the biblical precedent of gathering. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go and listen to that. That is on our website, vessel.church, or on iTunes or Spotify, however you listen to podcasts. Go and listen to that. Uh, but, but we talked about last week how Jesus, when, when they say the word church, the word is ecclesia, which is an assembly and a gathering of people. And so, interesting enough, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking about the church. And not only is he talking about the church, but he's talking about conflict within the church. And, and it's, I think that a lot of us, that speaks to us in a lot of ways, that we, that church from the outside feels like this, this warm fuzzy and this, we can go in and it's something to attend. I go to church. I attended church this week. But if you've been in church and you've been part of the gathering 
in a significant way. You know that we are broken people, and when you, put, when you gather broken people together, our brokenness bumps up against one another. And our insecurities come out, and our fears come out, and, and our judgments and our baggage and all those, and we have to deal with that with one another. So Jesus is talking to them about that very thing. He's talking about conflict in the church. If you've got a problem with someone else that's within the church, how to approach them, how to talk to them about that. And then even after what we're going to read, he goes on to talk about forgiveness. And and Peter famously asked him, Jesus, how much am I going to forgive? Seven times? He says, no, you're going to forgive 77 times. Point being, you're going to forgive and forgive and forgive and talk about forgiveness and how important those are to the church. But there's these two lines that he says in here in verses 19 and 20, and they're really going to be the the heart of what we discussed this morning. And I'm going to read two versions this morning. I talk to you all often about the version of Bible that you read, the translation, whether it's NIV, whether it's ESV, whether it's King James. I'm going to read the NIV version because that's what I often teach from. But in my preparation, I look up multiple translations of Scripture to try to understand, and I love the way the King James Version uh, states this as well. So let me read Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. NIV says, again, these are words of Jesus. Again, I truly tell you, That if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. The King James Version reads this way. It It says, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. Of my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 20 For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so, thinking about this being a numbers game, I want us to look at this scripture and think about not the analytics, so to speak, but a little bit about what Jesus is saying and why he specifically talks about the gathering of multiple people and the promises there. And so, the first thing um, that is important for us, for us to understand is there's promise in numbers. There's promise in numbers. He begins in verse 19 saying, again, I say unto you. It's like Jesus saying, you need to stop and you need to listen. It's like, hey, listen up. What I'm about to say is important. And he, he gives this caveat. Again, I say to you, it's, it's almost like when he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. It's this preface of saying, I need you to listen carefully because what I'm about to say matters. Not that there's anything that Jesus said that doesn't matter, but he brings this to the disciples' attention. And he gives us two promises here uh, in these two verses. And so, Walking into this, it's, under, it's, it's important that we understand that God has a history of promises. Is that when we are often, we live in a world and we are people that often make promises. And in a lot of ways, 2019, middle America, is, is, it feels like promises are like rules, that they were made to be broken. And I am guilty of this. I have in my past and in my life been someone who is a promise breaker. And we live with that every day. And it's, it's created skepticism for us. And it's never intentional. And we never mean it. But with my kids, I've struggled with that. Is that they want me to promise them, Dad, will you promise to do this or that with me? And then, you know, in my early naive parenting days, I said, of course, 
I promise. And then for some reason or something will happen or some circumstance, and now I've broken a promise. And really, that used to eat me up a lot. That used to really bother me. I want to be a man of my word. I want my yes to be yes, my no to be no. And that is important. That is important. So now, I just don't ever promise my kids anything. They want to come on Sunday mornings. That's one of their favorite things. Daddy, can I come early with you in the morning? I want to come early with you. And I give my grandson, we'll see, buddy. We'll see, babe. Yeah, we'll see. Let's, let's play it out. Let's see what the mornings look like. Because if I say yes, if I say yes, you can come early with me. And they stay up late or they're out of the bed or, or you know, I'm running late in the morning trying to get up at the crack of dawn and wake them up to get them out of the house. Now I've become a, a promise breaker. But we live in a culture where that's very common. Think about marriages. We go on the altar, we stand before this person, and we promise, we, we promise ourselves to them through, through good and through bad, through better and through worse, through good times and hard times, through sickness and health. I promise that I will never leave you, that I will always love you, that I will never forsake you. And we know that divorce is a real part of our culture, that those promises made on the altar before family and before God are broken. And so that's graded on us. I think a lot of ways we hear promises and we feel skeptical towards them. And if you're anything like me, you've made promises with God. God, if you'll just answer this prayer, I'll never do this thing again. God, forgive me this one time for I'll never make that mistake. And what we end up doing is we think about what what God does is God doesn't make promises. God makes covenants. And that is different. And when God makes a covenant with us, it is never broken. No matter what. It, it It is a a promise. It's beyond a promise. It's a covenant with us. And we often think about it contractually. We think about that, that we have this contractual agreement with God, that I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ, but then I'm going to have to have all these rules and these regulations. I'm not going to be able to do what I want, right? Or if we think, if we think, if you've ever been like me, you've, you've struggled in sin, I'm sure there's no one in here that struggles with sin. So if you struggle with sin, you feel, you, you know, you fall back into sin patterns and things that you, you've done for years and try to get free of. You feel like, man, I've, I've sinned 24 hours. I used to have this 24-hour rule. I'm like, I'm terrible. I'm the worst. God's like, I forgive me for 24 hours. How stupid is that? I mean, you know, it's just had this mindset of like, oh, well, I've messed up and God's hands off me and now things are going to be tough. But that's, we think about it contractually. But the truth is, is that, that scripture has a history of, of promises and covenant. It goes all the way back to book one in the Bible, Genesis. And you look at the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And this is something that's carried on into the New Testament. Not just from Abraham and the covenant, the, the, the covenant God creates with Abraham saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things. Here's what I'm going to do. It's all the way through Jesus that Jesus makes us promises. And when he says these things, they're true. And so when he says these words, again, I say unto you, he makes these two promises here. And, and uh, the two promises, the first, he says that when we agree in prayer, when we have agreement in prayer, God answers that prayer. The second being that when we gather in, our, in his name, he is in our midst. He is among us. 
when we gather in our names. And there's nothing that, that, breaks, that breaks that promise. There's no way that he takes that away from us. And a lot of times we, we think about con, a contract as something withholding. I agree to do this if you do this. And if you don't do this thing, that I'm not going to keep my end of the bargain. And it's withholding things. We have this contractual agreement that we want to hold that away from. But a covenant is not withholding. A covenant is unlocking. That when God makes a covenant with us, it unlocks things for us. When we gather in his name, or two or more are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. It's not, a, it's not a contract. Well, if you do these two things, then I'll do this. He's saying, when you do this, you are unlocking something. You're unlocking my presence. It's guaranteed. Stamp it. You can, you can put money in the bank on that truth. And so not only that, first and foremost, you have to understand that there's promise in numbers, Jesus says here. The second being this, is there's presence in numbers. Not only is there promise in numbers, but there's presence in numbers. Verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And this word gathering, when he says, when we gather in his name, it's the heart of this series. And what we're talking about over the next five weeks is why do we gather it's the same word here, and it, the, the, the word uh, literally means to gather together or the collection of people, collecting people together. It's the same word that fishermen use when a fisherman casts out a net and pulls up a net and gathers the fish together in the net. It's that same principle. It's that same principle. It's the idea that Jesus has brought us together. That none of us sitting in this room in this very moment is by accident or by happenstance. And I wonder, when we think about that, we don't always think about the gathering with such divine intentionality. To think that this very moment that we sit here in relationship with one another, gathered in his name, that it is divine. It is, as if the, it is as if God cast out a net and gathered us together like fish, gathered us together in his name. In a lot of ways that, that he brings us together, and this is where when we launched out and we planned this church, that we landed on the word collective. And we, we prayed really hard about, God, what is the identity of this church? Who are we supposed to be? And we, and, and we land on the name Vessel Collective Church. And this is why we chose that name to describe us, because it was obvious that the Lord was doing that, that in a divine, intentional way that he had cast in that and brought us together for a kingdom purpose. And I think that when we, when we broke off from ACF and we stepped out on our own, when those conversations began, I think that what ACF realized in the process is that it wasn't that God was doing something in Shay and I. It wasn't that God was stirring something in just me to go and do something new, to, to, to step out and to, and to lead this church into a new area. But what they realized in the end was that, that God was doing something in us collectively, and that's why we landed on this name. And, you know, we, we got a lot of pushback on that. We said it's Vessel Collective Church. And that collective, well, that doesn't sound very Christian. I'm like, you're saying that like a good thing, right? 
Uh, if it's like, like, what about Bessel Community Church or Bessel Bible Church? Like, those are all great ideas, and we, we are definitely a community, and we, are, we, are, we completely and totally submit ourselves to the Word of God. But the truth was is what we felt like God was doing was a collection of parts, gathering them to, together in His name. And I think one of the keys for us is this idea of diversity. Reverend Martin Luther King said this, and it's, man, it hits home and it hits hard. He says this, he says, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is an 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And it is very easy for us to go out and us to find a church that looks and feels and smells and tastes and touches like us, that we want to be with people that are just like us, that feel the same way that we feel, that have had the same experiences. But when we're gathering in his name, it's a collection of people that he's bringing together. And in our diversity, that's where richness comes from. And I've seen it in our church. And it's been really interesting to watch. And one of the things that I've seen, even of the past six months, is part of our generational diversity that we have here. And I've watched as we've, we've had this group of empty nesters in our church. And by empty nesters, we think about people who have emptied the nest. And I don't just mean that. I don't mean those who have just sent their kids off and their little birdies out of the nest. But I also mean those empty nesters, those, those who have not yet filled their nest. Those who are uh, single or they're engaged or they're dating or they're married and they haven't yet quite begun to hatch those little eggs. That at one side, and it's just been so interesting to watch in our church, is that we've got these two groups of empty nesters that bookend a lot of what we do. We have these families and these people that haven't yet quite started a family and haven't filled the nest. On the back end of that, we have these families and these people that have emptied the nest, that their children have gone, that they've raised them up and sent them out into the world as adults. And both of those groups of people in a really interesting way are pulling against the middle. And there's an eerie similarity in, in some of those things. That the, the, the not yet created um, birds in our nest, it, it's, it's a lot of this generation of feeling like, I want to see things done differently. I want to see something new. I don't want to just step into something just because it was told to me. And challenging that thing and pushing for that thing and, and, and desiring these deep relationships on a significant level. And then we have the back end of that of, the, of that bookshelf that is these people that have sent kids out that are now, it's just them and their spouse. And they're looking and they're thinking, man, like we put all this effort into this. What is next? What is next for us in our lives? And wh- what do I have to offer? In a lot of ways, they're, both those groups of people are feeling like, what do I bring? Do I have value? Do I have something to offer here? And I think what the enemy does is he uses our differences and he uses it to divide us. He wants to isolate us, make us feel like word we don't matter. So I want to say to both those groups, you matter. You matter. And part of the way God has put us together as we gather in his midst and his presence is among us. He's placed us here 
for purpose, a significant purpose. There's the, the movie, I was talking to Gary Gall about this, whereas Gary would uh, qualifies this. And we just reflect on this idea of uh, these, the, both these groups. Because, you know, here's Gary, and he would qualify as like this empty nester type. He's in his 50s and, you know, you know no, not bringing kids into home. And then he's leading this worship team that have all these 20-somethings on there. And he's like, I don't know how to lead them. I don't know how to help them. And it's been this beautiful, I mean, Sean and Gary and I have reflected on like, man, how good God is to bring all these people together. And we talked about that. I don't know if you've seen that. I'm sure of course you have, the movie Gladiator. And I, I'm not a big movie buff, but I love Gladiator. And there's, there's that scene at the beginning of the movie when they're going to battle, right? It, it's, it's right at the beginning of the movie. And, and he, Russell Crowe bends down and he, he picks up dirt and he rubs it in his hand. They look across the battlefield and somebody throws a head out, you know, a severed head out. And they look across from one another and, and, and uh, Russell Crowe says, on my mark, unleash hell. And he says this line, and I think that the enemy does that in our lives, is that he waits. He waits for these moments in our lives to, to, to attack. In a lot of ways, he waits for seasons or things that we're going through, but I see it again and again, is that, that he is not just some little pitchfork carrying. He's not the guy that's on the Torchy's taco sign, right? That is not the enemy. That is cute and kind of clever, but he is pure evil. And he sits and he watches our lives and he watches what we're going through. And he's, he says, on oh my mark, unleash hell. And he, he waits for us in our lives. And, and I want to tell you that I went through that. That when I graduated high school, I have one older brother. My parents moved off to, to San Marcos. I, went, I graduated, I went to UT. At 21 years old, after 30 years of marriage, my parents' marriage ended. And it was that attack that they got. It's that the enemy waited and they loved Jesus and they were deeply committed, loving parents and loving spouses. But the enemy waited for that one moment to attack and he destroyed my parents' marriage. And I, as a 21-year-old child, went through all that. And so I want you to know that I've seen it I don't experientially know what all of us go through, but I want you to know the enemy is deliberate in that. And what he wants to do is he wants to take and divide. He wants to corner us out. You don't connect with you. You're different than this person. I'm going to separate you out. This person acts or is experienced different or prays different. This person puts their hand, hands in the air and worship, and I sit there quietly with my coffee, and we're all different. How could we possibly be this body of Christ? But there's power and presence. And Jesus promises us that when we gather in his name, he is in our midst. That he is here with us. And you will hear me pray on Sunday mornings, Lord, thank you. As we gather in your name, Jesus. Because what Jesus promises is that he's here with us in this very moment. And I love that idea about being in the midst of us. You know, a lot of times in worship, I don't know where to look. Like I look up and I see the screen. I know the words. I close my eyes. I look up in the rafters. I don't know where to put my attention sometimes. And I'm ADD. And if you've noticed, I pray with my eyes open. And it freaks people out. But if I close my eyes, my brain is too ADD. It will just, it'll go. And so a lot of times I struggle with worship. And I think like, okay, Lord, like do I look up? Do I look down? Do I close my eyes? But the idea that it doesn't matter, that, that Jesus is in our midst. 
He's around us. He's standing next to you. He's not, he's, he doesn't grace us with his presence so he can mightily stand as we, as we bow at his feet, which we do, but he is among us. And that's so powerful. You know, as we were worshiping, I was just thanking the Lord. There's something that happens a lot on Sunday mornings, and I love it. And it's Grant Ledyard. He comes over to me, and he just gives me a hug. He just puts his arm around me. I stand in the same spot towards the last couple of songs. And, man, I, it just it, 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 it speaks to my heart because I think, man, that's the way Jesus is. He's here among us and in our midst. First Corinthians chapter 14, I mentioned we'd be there. Verse 25. We're going to read 25 now and 26 later. But it's this idea that Paul is teaching the same thing, and he tells them, and again, they're talking about worship. He's talking to the church in Corinth about the gathering, and he says this in verse 25, talking about people that come in that don't know Jesus, that don't know God. It says, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This idea that when someone walks in this door that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that we are gathered in his name, worshiping him, it is not what I say. It's not how good our worship team sounds. It's the fact that Jesus Christ is in our midst and people will see, surely God is among them. Surely God is in their midst and the promise of Jesus to that is powerful. The third and last thing I think is important about this idea of um, gathering and the power of numbers is the third is this, is, is that there's power in numbers. There's power in numbers. Verse 19 says, Again I say unto you, that if two, or, two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. And it's this idea, and there's power in agreement. This word to agree is the, is the Greek word symphoneo. And it comes from the root, root word symphonos. And what it, it's the same word that we get a symphony from. It's the same word. And that it literally is translated, what this definition is, is to do something harmoniously or in agreement. And I love that, that you look at that word too. When we agree on earth, when we agree on earth, it says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And this word symphoneo, which is we agree in harmony with one another. I love that idea that it's people in agreement but are different. What he's not telling us is to align and to do everything exactly the same. It's literally singing the harmony part of a song. And I told, I was talking to Sean and Shay about this this week as we were preparing for worship, and I'm going to butcher explaining this. But the idea is that when we stand and we sing and our worship team sings, that someone sings the melody, yet someone else in agreement with them sings the harmony part of the song. Those things are different. They are different. It's what we just experienced this morning in worship when Sean and Reed and Kaylee and Shay came and led us in worship. They are leading in agreement with one another, but they are not all the same. They are not all singing the same melody. They are not all playing the same instrument. They are not all singing at the same octave, but harmoniously 
They're in agreement with one another. And so they were telling me that during worship rehearsal this week, that as they were preparing, and I know this from my wife, my wife has served on the worship team and she's worked really hard to learn to harmonize. And that's been difficult for her. And she's been really diligent about learning how to sing the harmony part. To not just only be, be able to sing the melody, but to listen and to be able to learn to sing the harmony. And so as they were practicing this week, they're running through a song, and Sean is leading the song, and Shay is, is singing the harmony, and then Kaylee begins to play the violin, a completely different instrument, and she's playing the violin in a different harmony. It's not even the same harmony as Shay, and that just blows my mind. And that's what, it, that's what agreement looks like for us. What God does, he collects us and brings us together. It's harmonious. It's, it's, as, it's as if we're a symphony, singing the same song, being in agreement, but doing it with different instruments and different car parts and different keys. I hope I didn't butcher explaining what a harmony is. And we see a lot of this in the Old Testament, this idea that when when. When we gather in his, when we agree with one another, when we are in agreement that God does something, and it, it was, there's the same precedent was in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8 and 9 says, five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. It's the idea that when we are in agreement, that God does not do addition. Speaking of mathematics, that God multiplies what we're doing. He multiplies it. And we are not all called to do the same thing. But when we come together in agreement with one another, there's power in that. And there's multiplying power that we all have different gifts and we all have different skills. And don't mistake, this isn't some magic loophole in the gospel that Shane and I, oh, let's get together and we're going to agree in, in, in Jesus' name for a million dollars, right? That's what he says. We've got this magic loophole. Now, God has to give us a million dollars. It's not about that, but it's about laying aside your own agenda and in his presence and in his name, agreeing for what he wants. Think about your prayer life. Think about your private prayer life. And when, when you, and, and I cannot tell you how important private prayer is. You go read Matthew 6, and Jesus says, this is how you are to pray. Go in the door, close the door where you are alone, and pray a prayer that the Lord knows what's on your heart before it's spoken. But there's also power in numbers when we pray. And you think about your own prayer life. Your own prayer life is me, 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 me. And I'm guilty of it. And it's not bad, by the way. God help me. God, I am struggling with this. It, it's me. And so when we gather in prayer together in his name and we're in agreement of prayer, it's not me, 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 me. It's not, it's not a bunch of me's that we end up laying down our own agenda and what we're struggling with and our own needs and our own wants and desires. And we begin to pray harmoniously for what God wants. And when we say amen, it is not the, the end at the end of the movie. It's not, well, that's all folks, right? Like that's it. Like the end of the, the prayer is coming to the end. It is a word of agreement. His word of agreement. So that's what you and someone will teach. And you'll have someone say, amen. It says, man, that speaks to me. I am in agreement with you on those sort of things, on that. And we can get so me-centric. But when we gather in his name, there's power in that. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, the very next verse, verse 26 says this. Now read uh, 25 as well. I'll remind you, it says, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And then verse 26 says this. It says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church, the gathering of people, the ecclesia may be built up, that when we gather in his name, it is not so that we can all be exactly the same and fall in line. It's so that we can be a symphony, that we can be harmoniously called for the same purpose. And that what God does is he multiplies that and there's power in that. So as we close this morning, I want to give you a few things uh, to think about. And I always like to try to give something that you can do today, something that you can do this week. I, I feel convicted by this. God has spoke to me on this. The scripture has... Uh, has landed on my heart in such a way that I want to act. And, and, and so here are ways. The first is this, is, is to simply gather in his name. When you gather with other Christ followers, gather in his name. And I know it sounds silly, but say it, pray it. You know, uh, the, the crook small group, uh, Back here, I walk in at, at 9.50 this morning, 10 minutes before service, and they're gathered together with their small group praying for their time this morning, praying for me, praying for worship, praying for, for you. And they're gathered together hand in hand, gathered in Jesus' name. Like, do that. When you meet in small group, gather in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a simple thing, but it's powerful. And the guarantee is that Jesus is among you. And he hears your prayers. The second thing is to pray together. To pray together. And I know that is intimidating. There's nothing that, that Christians struggle with prayer. They struggle with praying out loud. They say, I'm not good enough. I'm not articulate enough. I don't know what to say. And none of that is all phony and lies. There is no, you don't have to be some sort of articulate, some wordsmith. Just pray together. Gather in the name of Jesus Christ and pray together. There's power in that. In my men's group, uh, we meet uh, every other Monday night, and so we'll switch around places. But about a month or two months ago, we met at um, Pine House Pizza, and we sat in the corner booth, and we, we gathered, and we go around and share what's going on in and, and, and our lives, and there's no Bible study. We just It's pure authenticity, and we gather there. And one of the guys in our group was saying, man, I, we're trying to sell our home. And know that you think, oh, you know, that doesn't, that's not significant. But it's really stress, it's really put stress on he and his wife and his family. And they bought this new house and they're trying to sell it and it hasn't gone well. And so we, we, we pray in the name of Jesus together in agreement with one another. We pray for his home to sell. And the very next, the very next morning they got an offer on their house that someone purchased their house. Amen. So you can't tell me that prayer doesn't work and that it doesn't matter. And it's not some, again, it's not some genie in a bottle, you wish whatever, you know, your wish will come true. But we pray for it to sell. And so we met this past Monday and we sat in that same booth and it had been a month since we'd been there. We'd gone to some other places. And he said, he said, remember the last time we were in this booth? Hey, remember what God did? And I can't tell you how many times that's happened again and again and again and again and again. There's power in prayer. So pray together. Number three is bear with one another. 
as something that you can do. Bear with one another. Ephesians 4 says that we are to bear with one another in love. And I will tell you this, in my however long I've been a pastor, if I've learned one thing, one thing, again and again and again and again, it's that we are to bear with one another in love. There are moments that we're going to be frustrated and disappointed and hurt and, and all these things with one another because we're broken people. But I urge you, I cannot strong, urge you strong enough to bear with each other in love, that to push through those hard things, to push through those seasons where, where, where it, things are rocky. And the last is this, and I want to say this to our 20-somethings and anyone that's an empty nester, 50 over, is to start and finish strong. To start and finish strong. If you are a new adult and you're in the first, however, whatever season of being an adult, I want to encourage you to start strong, to stay the course, to find a church. If this is, if it's here at the vessel or somewhere else, to start strong because you can lose a game in the first quarter. A game is never won in the first quarter, but a game can be lost in the first quarter that you can get so far behind that scraping to get back. And I'm not fear-mongering or anything like that. And for those that are on the back end, a game can be won in the fourth quarter. A game can be won in the fourth quarter to finish strong, to realize whatever season you're in life, whatever is new or next, to do the hard thing, to engage, and to finish strong. I'm going to pray, and uh, yeah, let me pray, and, and I'm just going to give a little bit of freedom up front. Just if you have something that's on your heart, to just go to the Lord for it right now. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray, and I just want to give us some space. Scripture says that we are to be still and know that I am God. If his promise says that we are, when we gather in our name, in his name, he is in our midst. Jesus, we gather in your name right now. God, we know that you are in our midst. in this silence, in this, in this moment. God, would you speak to us in our hearts? God, let us gather in your name for your purpose, God. Let help us as a church to be in agreement with one another. Convict us, Lord, to go to war with each other in prayer. Convict us, Jesus, to bear with one another through seasons and storms. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the command and the opportunity and the privilege to gather, God. I pray that you just give us more clarity on why we gather. God, let us not walk in on Sunday mornings with a casual spirit, but with a spirit of anticipation. God, let us be ready 
for you to do what only you can do. God, I thank you for the richness and beauty that's diversity within your body. I pray that you cultivate that here. God, I pray for generational diversity. God, I pray for spiritual diversity. God, that we come from different backgrounds, different experiences spiritually. God, would you cultivate that here? I pray for racial and ethnic diversity here, Lord. Jesus, would you cultivate that in us? Would we see someone that's different than us? God, and let us be hungry for what they have, hungry for their perspective. God, I thank you that every word of every song that we worship to you this morning is true, that you are good. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for this morning and your word, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.